0: Welcome to Waves of Change Podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Waves of Change Podcast. So happy that you're here and happy 2023 to all of you. I hope that you all had restful holiday seasons and were able to spend Time with your loved ones. And I'm so happy to be back with you in this new year. I'm so excited to go on a journey of 2023 together and share many more episodes of Waves of Change podcast with you all. Starting with our episode today with Marie Mintolucci, who is the founder and executive director from Women Save. What Women Save does is empower unbanked women in developing countries to meet their financial goals. And while Women Save is a young organization and relatively new, as you hear Marie speak, you'll hear about the amazing impact that they're already having and it's so exciting and I can't wait to hear about the amazing work that they continue to do in the future. I loved as I hear I heard Marie speak and as I spoke to her, how intentional the work of Women's Save is, how much thought goes into it. You'll hear Marie speak about how she had this idea in 2015 and the pilot project didn't happen until 2020. That's five years. But as you hear her speak, you'll realize that that's five years of her doing research and to figure out what the need was and what the gap was and what the solution was. And I really think that Women Save seems like a great solution to helping empower women and lift up women. You'll hear Marie speak about how giving women financial literacy and that independence to really know what they're doing with the money that they earn and being able to save, it alleviates stress. It opens up doors for not only them but for their children and for their families, and even—and this was new to me—that um, it even helps with climate change, giving women financial power, which I just love. Um, you know, my husband has been in banking for quite some time, and him and I talk a lot about financial literacy at home and some things that we often discuss is one about how in our general education, we're not often taught about how to manage our finances. And it's something that, you know, is kind of like you have to figure it out on your own. And I love that Women Save is teaching these women such valuable skills that so many of us even here in the United States, no matter our income level, need. Because um, so you know, so many of us may struggle with saving and um, I love that they are lifting up women in sub-Saharan Africa with these really important skills that all of us need. And it's so true. And this is something else that my husband and I speak about often is that you when you have that savings and you're not having to stress about money and maybe where the next meal is coming from because you have that cushion of savings it alleviates so much stress and we know that stress has a negative impact on our health and and also our our mood you know how we're dealing with our family so i love the ripple effects going into that waves of change theme (laughs) i love the ripple effects that women save is having on these women and their families And again, I'm just so excited to see them grow and the amazing work that they're gonna continue to do. And we should have Marie on a couple years from now to hear. So I will let you get to it. Here's our first episode of 2023 with Marie. So today's podcast, we have Marie Mintelucci, who's the founder and executive director from Women Save. Women Save is empowering unbanked women to meet their financial goals. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me today.
0: So I, I saw on your website that in 2015 you had the first had the idea for Women Save. Can you explain how you came across the idea for the organization?
1: Of course. So my previous job was with an organization called The Hunger Project, and I was fortunate enough to work with them in the capacity of their senior microfinance officer, which meant that I oversaw a team of people on the ground in eight countries in sub-Saharan Africa who were responsible for Motivating and getting together groups of women in the rural setting to form their own credit unions and it was an incredibly rewarding job, um, particularly when things went well. (laughs) (laughs) I guess any job um, could say that, but when we had success we were able to really build um, the agency of these women to own and operate their own basic financial institution. However, the success rate obviously was not perfect. And there was just a really high barrier, um, not just to entry, but to success. It's a tall order for anyone to run their own basic financial institution, let alone groups of women who have um, basic literacy and numeracy skills at best. Totally. So- at the same time, I was witnessing throughout Sub-Saharan Africa, but in East Africa in particular, an explosion of digital financial services led mainly by the M-Pesa program in Kenya, which you may have heard of. And it was basically allowing clients to access these digital financial services at their fingertips and really helping kind of work around some of the issues that early microfinance interventions were trying to address. So in terms of namely the cost of reaching people in very remote areas with small amounts of lending or savings. So I was trying to think about a way to really kind of connect those dots and understand why those digital financial services were not reaching so far downstream and how to bring in unbanked women who globally number 740 million uh, bring some of them into this formal financial structure. So one of my light bulb moments in terms of capitalizing on savings was actually I moved out to the Bay Area from the East Coast with my family in 2013 and went to a mixer where I ran into some younger women who were kind of questioning. There had been some research that had come out about microcredit in particular and what it actually offered to you know low-income women what the real impact was and they said that much of the research they had seen was inconsequential at best and maybe sometimes there was some harm done from lending now I don't mm-hmm. entirely agree with that however they were like why aren't we just focusing on savings for women that seemed like a natural fit and I was like you know what we should focus on savings. (laughs) So that light bulb moment kind of led me to think about more um, specifically what that would look like. There was also a lot of behavioral science coming out at the time that would show ways in which small tweaks to savings products could make a huge difference so for example labeling it for a specific goal Mm. having it set aside on a regular basis like in more bite-sized pieces and keeping the money out of reach those are three things that together are known as commitment savings plans um, and they can be structured a little bit differently but are really shown to improve savings outcomes tremendously so, in my mind, it seemed like a pretty easy fix. We would just combine that type of commitment savings plan as an onboarding tool to the digital economy in the way of these mobile money financial services in East Africa. And thus, was born Women Save. We were very fortunate to be working with a fiscal sponsor at the time, Global Partners for Development, which is also located here in the Bay Area. And they had a pre existing relationship. With um, some community groups and um, staff in Uganda, uh, two southwestern districts of Uganda in particular, so we were able to capitalize that and launch our pilot project in 2020.
0: Um, and can I backtrack real quick? Is micro credit is this, the at the same as micro
1: So it's a more it's a subset of microfinance. So microfinance, which is now also kind of more generally referred to as financial inclusion, microfinance refers to financial services for low-income populations. So that can include microcredit, which is loans or lending, and savings, and insurance, and a host of other products and services. But microfinance is kind of the umbrella term, and microcredit specifically refers to lending. Got it. Okay. Thank
0: you. Um, so I know you just mentioned in 2020 you launched. Can you kind of explain what that was like and how you what you first did and... What you
1: learned from it? Of course. It was not what I expected in the sense <laughs> <that> we, <laughs> I guess, no one expected March 2020 in the global pandemic. Right. Um, that was precisely the month and year of my career that I had chosen to launch this new, hopefully long term successful organization. So it was a little daunting. Great timing. <laughs> to be, yeah. <laughs> to be in Uganda at the time that the pandemic was first starting. And a lot of questions and concerns about how we could possibly continue in the face of that. However, I will say that I think in terms of a silver lining, the context of the pandemic provided an opportunity. I think our clients needed our products and services then more than ever, because Mm. even if they had been clients of, say, a microfinance institution or a formal bank, which they were not... But even if they had, those in-person services were shut down, as everyone knows, overnight. And so by making an effort to connect our clients to the digital economy was, like I said, needed, I think, then more than ever. In addition, we were able, thankfully, to pivot our first kind of entry point into working with clients is a financial literacy training And we had planned and always do plan to do that in person in a group setting. We were able, however, to pivot during the pandemic to offer that um, over the phone. So Mm. there was a way for us to kind of adapt what we were doing in the context of the pandemic. So thankful for that and thankful for the ability to kind of prove out our concept, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Uh, Beyond that very helpful, very thankful to be able to serve these clients who who really needed what we were offering, um, unlike ever before. So we were able to launch the pilot in March 2020. We have a team on the ground of five, what we call savings officers, who are local women with business degrees and skills. And they are the ones who are at the front end of working directly with our clients it's really important to us that our services be offered by women to women we think that's an important element of our success mm-hmm. so we've had them on the ground since march 2020 we also have a country tr- director who oversees their work there as well um so they were able throughout that year to work with a little over 500 clients who were part of our pilot project wow. and continue to serve them in 2021, as well as acquire some new clients. We've been toggling with our appropriate ratio of savings officers to clients to make sure they still get the onboarding that they need and the human touch that's required to build the confidence and skills and trust of this market segment, but also recognize that they are using technology and digital financial services. And we'd like to reach as many women as quickly as we can, but obviously in a meaningful and sustainable manner. So we acquired some more clients in 2021, even more so in 2022. And then excitingly, just at the end of last year in December, we graduated that initial pilot project cohort that we started working with in March, 2020, who will now go on to use their mobile money accounts and continue to save for a purpose on their own with the support of what we're calling peer mentors. So the way our model works when we first start working with clients, they either already belong to small women's groups or we group them together for the purposes of training. Among those groups, there's often one or more clients who kind of emerge as early on emerge as clients who really master the concepts of commitment savings, savings for those specific goals and ability to use mobile money. So they These groups then select, with the help of the savings officer, one of those members and exemplary clients of ours to act as a peer mentor or resource person moving forward after the clients graduate from our program if they have any concerns or issues regarding their mobile money accounts or their ability to set up these specific savings plans. So we're very excited that they were able to successfully graduate from the program at the end of last year. And now hopefully they will go on to continue to enjoy the benefits of their economic empowerment um, and a lifetime of improved financial health. And we'll be able to bring additional clients into the program and to rotate through in that same manner.
0: That's amazing. So then the thought is that the program would be about two years?
1: Correct. The clients would receive direct um, products and services from us as women save via our savings officers for two years. In a third year, they would be in a transition phase, moving over to these to this peer mentor support, and the peer mentor would still have kind of a direct line of access to the savings officer. And after the completion of that third year, they would be fully on their own. um is our is our intention. Got it. Um, I saw on your website
0: that 740 million women worldwide do not have bank accounts. Can you explain to listeners, you know, why financial independence and literacy in women is so important?
1: Oh, gosh, there's so many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to begin, I um, feel strongly about this so I could go on for hours, but I won't. <laughs> Um, Just to situate it in the context, for example, of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs, um, number five is uh, gender equality or parity. Um, So this fits squarely within that in our mind, um, that we're able to bring women the economic agency and resilience that they deserve um, in line with their male counterparts There's also some really interesting and compelling evidence to show that economically empowering women has a lot of positive benefits, both for um, health and education outcomes, particularly as they invest a lot of their own resources in the lives and well-being of their children. And also some really interesting um, research around what that means for environmental sustainability mm-hmm. um, and global warming, that women, by making these investments in their children and their education and health, that there are really positive spillover or externality effects um, with respect to the environment. So those are just some of the like really high-level, um, exciting reasons to care about female economic empowerment.
0: Yeah, I love that. I've also heard by giving women that financial independence, a lot of times, you know, when the women are being funded, it goes back into the family and to the children. So, I think that goes to say what you were explaining too.
1: Absolutely. And since you mentioned it just to touch on in terms of involving men, um in this process and in this conversation so as not to, it doesn't have to be a zero sum game, right? Um, there's There should be enough to go around. And so one of the things that came up in our market research early on um, is that we need to involve men in these types of economic empowerment programs and financial inclusion programs to have that long-term success. Um, particularly in contexts where there is a lot of um, there, there can be uh, what shall I say, like gender norms and cultural attitudes towards the roles of different genders that are maybe mm-hmm. stronger um, some places than others. And so, making sure that we fold in men into our initial foray into working with women is really important. And one way we do that is to bring them into our, of the financial literacy training package, bring them into the first session or alternatively stated, we, we, we invite the female clients if they would like to bring their husbands or partners to have them come to the first session, which is about goal setting financial goal setting and determining which goals are household goals and shared which are individual which are short-term versus long-term but to kind of have those conversations at the household level and make sure there's buy-in there And then hopefully ideally longer term at the community level that everyone kind of buys into the concept of the importance of economically empowering women. And again, not necessarily as a zero sum game where that has to be at the expense of men, but in the spirit of lifting everyone up together. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's not that you are excluding the husbands or partners. I love that. Um, So I know that you mentioned that you start the program with a financial literacy class. Can you kind of walk us through what the two-year program looks like and how you're going in achieving the mission?
1: Absolutely. So yes, the onboarding begins with the financial literacy training package. It's pretty short and sweet uh, with a heavy focus, like I said, on financial goal setting, saving, commitment saving, budgeting, and access to digital financial services, how to set up and use a mobile money account. Um, Quickly then transitions to one-on-one financial advisory services, which we think are severely lacking um, or basically non-existent in the case of our target market, these unbanked women. And so it's important to us that like I said at the outset, that the service be woman to woman, but also that each client get um, the kind of individual attention of at least one or two short individual sessions to address the fact that she has individual financial needs and wants and to map those out together. So the savings officer will sit down with each client or over the phone, but They will meet together to determine a monthly budget and to determine an ability to save and then together co-create the first commitment savings plan. So the client is at complete discretion to choose her financial goal. The most common ones have to do with purchasing livestock like a goat Mm -hmm. or pig. Many women also choose to save for school fees per our earlier, uh, the the last point that we were discussing, mm-hmm. um, home improvement projects, starting our expanding businesses, um, and healthcare expenses. Those are, um, those are often chosen, but the client is in the driver's seat and gets to decide what she wants to save for for her commitment savings goal. So the savings officer and client co-create that savings plan together, which maps out how much she will owe on a weekly basis in order to stay on track toward that goal. At the same time, based on what they've articulated in her average monthly budget, they also estimate what would be an ideal emergency reserve fund. This was something else that emerged during our market research that was really important to clients at this income level that... If they were to face even a minor hiccup in their household finances, whether somebody got sick or injured, it could derail their ability to meet their commitment savings goal completely. So there was an interest in having another pot of money set aside for emergency purposes. So at the same time that they have this commitment savings plan, each client also has an emergency reserve fund just for her safe and sound in her mobile money account. And then moving forward, once those plans are in place, the engagement with the savings officer is somewhat minimal. Um, the savings officer does send a text deposit reminder to the client on a weekly basis to remind her of the amounts that she needs to deposit to stay on track. And congratulatory text messages at major milestones like when she is at the you know halfway mark or almost to her goal. I love that. During that time, the clients are also meeting in those groups that they receive their financial literacy training with on a, ideally on a monthly basis, COVID threw a wrench in those plans also, <laughs> but we're mostly back on track for clients to be meeting in those groups on a monthly basis to provide that social emotional support and encouragement to each other to also stay on track. And the savings officer uh, occasionally drops into those meetings to provide additional support and answer any questions. Then once a plan, once a savings goal is achieved, so let's say a woman decided she wanted a new roof on her house, they mapped out the amount, she made her weekly deposits, and then she hits that mark, the savings officer will inform her that she has the money in her account in order to make that. Uh, home improvement. So she can withdraw the funds and go ahead and do that. Then turn around and set a new savings goal with the help of the savings officer, if it's still under that two year um, initial support phase. Otherwise, beyond those two years, then the, the client with the support of her peer mentor, or perhaps she feels confident enough to do it by herself, will start setting those own goals, her own goals and saving toward them again with the support of her group and her peer mentor.
0: I'll pause there. <laughs> no, nice. I mean, I love all of that. Um, I'm curious, could you explain for, you know, your clients where they're generally like receiving their income? Like, are they working within the community or what type of job? Agriculture. They
1: the okay. large majority of our clients right now. So I think I mentioned at the beginning, but our clients are all in these two um, very southwestern districts of Uganda, pretty remote and rural Um, So about 70 to 75% of our clients are involved in agriculture. Um, In many instances, it has to do with um, farming bananas, uh, beans, sometimes tea and coffee for those particular areas, but most clients are involved in agriculture in some way. We do have a small subset who are in like the service industries, so they may own small restaurants or small um, shops or um, hair salons, or like a seamstress, um, a dressmaker. So there are some people involved in the services, but for the most part, we're looking at women involved in agriculture. Got it, okay.
0: And since these women have not don't have experience with bank accounts, I'm imagining that uh, most of their salaries are coming in cash. Correct. Got it, and then Women Save is helping them use the bank and save money and all of that?
1: Yes. So one important factor to note um, in terms of why we think our model is successful. So so by connecting our clients with digital financial services, they're able to convert that cash over to the digital economy. So the mobile banking partner that we work with as most the way most mobile banks, uh, mobile money operators are set up, um, have roving agent networks, um, where clients can cash in cash out, but they're normally pretty accessible, even at the village level. So it makes that a much um, more accessible transaction Um, And lowers the opportunity cost of them um, having to not having to walk a long distance to a bank or a microfinance institution, but rather that cash in cash out point, uh, pretty local to where to where they are.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important that you all are making it as accessible and easy as possible with the mobile money, because, you know, you don't want to create that hurdle of having to like travel to a bank or any of that. So I love that you're doing that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's right there at their doorstep, and then at their fingertips. Um. So what's interesting is just to see, from from our perspective, like philosophically, like why wasn't that already happening, kind of thing. And so, right. We really think that because the service is there, it's just that the the women that we're trying to connect to it either lack, um, the confidence, or the skills, or the tools, or all of the above. To access it, so that's what we're trying to equip them with, um, and we think we've been pretty successful to date in doing that. So hopeful to replicate this elsewhere.
0: I think that's important what you just said too, because while your focus is on um, the financial aspect, the the result really is empowering these women, um, you know, to to save their own money and you know have that power in their life to to have that freedom of doing what they want whether it's home improvement or buying like livestock or you
1: know. absolutely there's a lot of dignity and pride i think that comes with articulating your own financial goals and meeting them on your own terms and conditions which has not been something typically associated with other financial inclusion or microfinance interventions in the sense that often And I understand where it came from. The innovation at the beginning was to group women together as an ability to keep costs down. um, And they would either co-guarantee each other's loans or all receive the same size loan. And it was a phenomenal innovation at the time um, because there wasn't anything else. But now that we have these digital financial services, it just seems like we really need to capitalize on that and their ability to meet people where they're at individually and afford them, again, that dignity and pride of doing it on their own terms and conditions.
0: Yeah, I love that. I would love for you to share one of your favorite success stories with us if
1: you have one. Ooh, let's see. Um, There's so many clients that come to mind. Um, (laughs) It could be more than one too, if you have a couple. deep in our impact. We just conducted an impact evaluation. We just collected the data for it in December. So I'm deep in that data entry and analysis process. So <laughs> I also got all those numbers like swirling in my head. I think if I could just start with one of those big numbers then I'll give a, an individual story. Yeah, for um, sure. But something that, that popped out to me early on and um, it, we're still scrubbing the data. So this number may change slightly. But in terms of that individual emergency reserve fund that we set each client up with, kind of talking about that evolution, um, first off, it was really interesting when we did our data collect at the end of 2021, we tried to really discuss with clients um, what the most significant change for them to date had been. And many noted that this emergency reserve fund just knowing that it was there regardless of the amount that was in it brought a reduction in stress to their lives that was somewhat immeasurable just knowing that it was there and then in terms of adding numbers to that picture um, so our clients typically live at or below two dollars a day um they started the program on average with around 6 dollars in savings to their name by the end of last year they had more than doubled that i think excuse me by the end of 2021 they had more than doubled that to around um 13 dollars and then by the end of 2022 They had, again, almost doubled that, um, and it was around $22 or $23 on average per person. Now, that may not sound like a lot, um, but in terms of what that represents for their monthly budget, that's nearing um, a 40% mark and something that we're really proud of, particularly because this concept, even though it was identified and articulated during market research, when we first started working with these clients, they said there was absolutely no way they could save up to one month of average monthly expenses. That was something Mm. that seemed insurmountable to them. So now having seen the building of their confidence and their own hard work setting aside these sums of money every week that they are able to get there and that we hope to see that number continue to grow is really, really rewarding. Um, And more than that, they use it. Um, so that's one place where I'm very much still scrubbing the data, um, but to see that clients do draw down on those funds when they need to, whether it's for food, for water, for healthcare, for transportation, that they use it and then they replenish it. And we're really happy to see where that can lead in terms of improved female financial resilience. Um, in terms of an individual story, Um, I think I want to highlight, there's so many, (laughs) one that really comes to mind. Um, I'm a mother, I have three young children and there was one woman who, um, she had decided she wanted to save for, I believe, a goat at the outset, um, but found out she was pregnant partway through her commitment savings plan. And so worked with her savings officer to restructure the plan slightly, to set aside enough money to be able to deliver her baby in a health clinic mm-hmm. and they restructured the the weekly payments and the goal and the timeline <laughs> obviously had a strict timeline. Uh, and she was able to save up the proper amount of money to be able to get the transportation to and the delivery at the health clinic that she wanted and delivered a, a healthy baby boy there. Um, I think that story for me really exemplifies what our, what our products and services can do in terms of being adaptable, in terms of meeting women where they're at, in terms of their needs and wants, and having these really positive outcomes for them, their families, their health, and their well-being. So that story really stuck with me.
0: I love that. I think it speaks to about how your organization is giving the women the power to know what they need in their lives. Instead of like many organizations that go in and tell people what they need, um, the women are able to decide what they're saving for. And so in that instance, she was able to pivot and, you know, something that a lot of us take for granted is delivering in a hospital or having the choice to. And um, the fact that she was able to save up for that and have a healthy birth is a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Absolutely. And that she was able to get the funds when she needs them. I think- there are other contexts in financial inclusion and microfinance where women can say what they want to save for, but then it's tied up or linked to a group or the availability of the funds from somewhere or something else. Um, so she might have to wait for her loan disbursement based on mm. the timetable of the microfinance institution and their cash flow, or she might have to wait her turn in a savings group cycle. So you might not or you typically don't end up with the money when you need it, let alone the amount that you need. Um, so the ability to get it when you need it also, I think is critical.
0: Totally. Um, I would love to hear what you're excited about for the future of Women save.
1: Oh my gosh. So much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this year alone where uh, we have two kind of exciting experiments on the horizon. um, We think we've built a lot, a very strong proof of concept in terms of what we can do working woman to woman, but there is a high cost associated with that human touch, right? And so in terms of reaching as many people as quickly as we can without compromising results, we wanted to experiment a little bit with ways we can leverage technology even further. One way that we want to do that is with our text deposit reminders, So those texts that the clients receive on a weekly basis to alert them to how much they need to deposit toward their commitment savings goals and their emergency reserve funds to stay on track. We'd like to try and outsource that um, to some type of bot or something similar that will allow our savings officers to free up their time to then focus more on the financial literacy training piece and the financial advisory sessions and setting up the savings plan. So that's one thing I'm really excited about. The other thing, also relying on technology, we'd like to really start to build, our clients don't have traditional credit scores because they've perhaps never had, most likely never had a loan. Um, and if it has been, it's probably been through the context of a savings group where there's no formal documentation. So using what we have in the way of data about our client's savings behavior over the that two to three year time horizon to show that they can and do make regular deposits towards something, we'd like to convert that into some type of alternative credit score that we think would be immensely valuable to a microfinance institution or to a bank that might be interested in lending to them. Um, And to loop back to a point I made earlier on that I want to reframe a little bit, in terms of how I was talking about microcredit, not necessarily so the the lending portion of microfinance, right. not necessarily being the solution. In my mind, there's there's definitely a time and a place for lending and micro lending. And it typically has to do with entrepreneurs and micro, small, medium enterprises that are either starting or growing. Um I think where microfinance and financial inclusion ran into a little bit of trouble in the past was conceptualizing every low-income African woman in a remote rural area as that budding entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. when, of course, that can't possibly be the case. We're not all budding entrepreneurs, um, but everyone has financial needs and times that they need lump sums of money, right? Right. So right. I wanted to reframe that a little bit because it's not that I think that microcredit is is bad or it doesn't have a wonderfully positive effect in many contexts. It's just that it's not the solution everywhere that I think it may have been purported to be at the outset of microfinance and financial inclusion. That right. said, in terms <laughs> of supporting entrepreneurs, um, we would very much, and we do have an, an increasing, it seems... Um, section of our client base that has small businesses they want to start or grow. And we would really like to find them ways to link up to additional working capital to do that. Um, so we think that al- alternative credit score could be um, an exciting place to do that. Um, and then lastly, uh, well, we want to grow, obviously. <laughs> I guess every organization <laughs> does. We want to you know, bring more clients in through our program, but we want to um, more intentionally And this was brought to me um, by our country director. So I'm particularly excited about this because it seems very connected to to the needs on the ground, Um, but kind of intentionally really work toward um, youth um, and young women in particular. Mm. The average or median age of our client hovers somewhere around 40, um, which is good. I think that there's a need at every age um, for for our products and services, Um, but we're going to try and think about a way to structure our next phase of outreach a little bit more intentionally for young women, um, probably at the the college level, if not at the secondary school level. Um, So I'm excited to think through ways in which we can do that effectively um, and really set them up for a lifetime um, of positive benefits from from financial literacy education and learning how to save and, and leverage digital financial services from a young age. So I'm excited about that too.
0: That's awesome. Do you have any plans? I mean, just like you said, every organization wants to grow, but do you have <laughs> any plans of expanding into other communities?
1: Um, yes, we would like to. So our, our goal is really, we're still just in these two districts of Uganda. We'd really like to prove out our model in other districts in Uganda first, um, and then ideally expand to other countries. One thing I should have said also in terms of what I'm excited about and what's to come for us as well, we, in terms of our like big broad vision, as I mentioned before, it's kind of, in terms of the genesis of the organization, we're like connecting these dots, right? Between existing technology, and banking services, and this unbanked market segment. Um, In terms of our long-term vision, it's essentially to work ourselves out of a job in the sense that we would love to work directly with the banking partner behind the mobile money. And we've already Mm. started some relationship building with them to figure out ways to build in these products and services or some simple tweaks into how they do business so that this client segment that these women are automatically kind of brought into the fold. Um, So we were thinking through ways that we could um, do some type of pilot project and it may be in different districts in Uganda, um, but really to help the bank understand that these are viable clients um, and that there are ways that they can, if they spend the money wisely, ways they can bring them in, but still have a net gain from deposits, from transactions, from fixed deposits, and so forth. So once we build out that um, example, which will obviously be on a longer time horizon, we'd love to take that as a blueprint to other countries also.
0: Mm, That's awesome. Well, I'd love to finish up by giving you the opportunity to let listeners know how they can
1: help and where they can find you. Sure. So we've got a website, (laughs) www.womensave.org. Please visit us. There's definitely an option to give there. Um, We are closed out our last year fundraising pretty successfully, but hoping um, to do even more this year. Um, Some specific goals for this year include, like I mentioned, some of the things I was excited about in terms of technology upgrades, but we're also hoping to double our team of savings officers on the ground. Um, and thereby double our outreach to clients in Uganda. So you'll see an ability to give on through our website um, and kind of a menu of options for what that money would be used toward. Um, we're all, There's also a, a place on our website to sign up for our newsletter. So you can stay up to date on our progress, as well as follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. We have pretty active um, pages in both places, again, to stay up to date, Um, on what we're doing and then the last thing I might mention is we're already starting to get excited and think about International Women's Day which is coming up in March Um, and we're looking for anyone who's interested um, to co-host a cocktail party or something similar to introduce what we're doing to other people who might be excited and interested in this space Um, so reach out either via our website or to me directly um, I'm at marie.mintolucci at womensave.org. Um, and I'd love to to connect if there's any interest there as well.
0: Awesome. Well, we always end our podcast with some rapid fire questions, which are just some fun questions about you. Fun. If that's all right. <laughs> of course. Um, so your favorite place in the world and be as specific as possible.
1: Oh, boy. Uh, rapid fire. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> The the regional park that I go hiking at in Sonoma County, where I live, called Helen Putnam Regional Park.
0: Oh, yes, I know it well. Um, The TV show that you're currently watching?
1: The Crown.
0: Nice. The most recent season?
1: I think so. I get a little lost in the weeds sometimes. But yes, Diana is involved. So I believe it's the most recent season. (laughs) Yes,
0: it's a good one. Um, And then the last book that you read?
1: Um, right now I am reading, so I'm almost done. I'm gonna count it. Um, The School for Good Mothers. It's a bit depressing. It's a novel um and has been likened to the handmaid's tale for mothers. Mm. Oh gosh. <laughs> but it's a real interesting conversation starter, I will say.
0: Okay, I'll have to look that up. And um, one fun fact about you.
1: Um, I can see speak basic
0: Chinese oh very cool Mandarin very basic
1: Uh, Mandarin very basic I studied abroad in Nanjing for a semester in college that was 20 years ago but I still retained some I should have said very basic but some (laughs) Chinese language skills Mandarin well that's
0: very cool Um, and then the last one is your favorite quote
1: I have it sitting right in front of me Um, it's Maya Angelou and it's people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That's a great one.
0: Well, thank you so much, Marie. It was a pleasure speaking with you and getting to know more about the amazing work that you all are doing at Women Save.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Of course.
0: Thank you for listening to Waves of Change podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Waves of Change POD. If you have a question or recommendations for next guests, email us at wavesofchangepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Waves of Change podcast and rate us to help others find us. And if you're feeling extra generous, please share this episode on your social media channels. Thank you for listening.
1: We'll see you next time.